Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Friday, August the 4th, 2023. It is currently 5 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, we have a listener who doesn't live in Abilene, Texas. In fact, you know, I know it's sad for him, but he does not even live in the state of Texas. I, 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 I pity people who don't live in the state of Texas. I, you know, you know, a few, only a few who are chosen. Many may be called, but only a few are chosen. Okay. I'm joking around, but yes, I do feel bad that for people who don't live in the great country of Texas, right? We are the country. The rest of you are just suburbs of, of, of Texas, right? Everything really is about Texas. Okay. Our time is right. Everything is right. Well, the only thing not right is when it's 115 degrees outside and you're trying to do a live broadcast. But I digress. We have a listener who unfortunately, because maybe of disobedience in his life, he does not live in Texas. He lives somewhere like, I don't know, Georgia, Tennessee, North Carolina, somewhere in the South. I don't know where. Somewhere in the South. One of those areas that I'm assuming would probably be considered a part of the Bible Belt. I'm assuming it would be. I'd have to look up what locations now make up the Bible Belt, but I'm pretty sure they are. it's either Bible Belt direct or Bible Belt adjacent. But he's in the Bible Belt, and he was out driving, I think, driving home from work. I don't know. Whatever people do in the South when they're driving around. They're driving around. Who knows? And he sees a sign, a religious sign. A Christian sign. Now, he's in the Bible Belt, or at least Bible Belt adjacent, right? So, what do you think the chances are the sign was theologically sound? How, what do you think it was theologically sound? It was, it was, it was orthodox. It was, it was theologically correct. I mean, he's in the Bible Belt or a Bible Belt adjacent. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Well, I think it depends on, well, what you think Bible orthodoxy looks like. It probably depends on what you think uh, being theologically correct looks like. Sadly, I believe most Christians will think this this sign was biblically sound. I think many people would be like, oh, I need to put up a sign just like that outside our church. But I'm going to tell you, it's not biblically sound. It's not theologically correct. I'm going to tell you that it's absolutely wrong and it leads to a complete misunderstanding of the gospel. Are you ready? I'm going to I'm going to read the sign to you, all right? Now, remember, this is our ongoing series and the proper distinction between law and gospel. So that means this sign, if I'm going to tell you about this sign, it has something to do with that proper distinction between law and gospel. Ready? Have I built up the suspense? Have you moved to the edge of your seat? Do you want to know what this sign says? Well, tune in next week. Okay, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. All right. Here we go. Are you ready? Here we go. It's a red. Well, it's red and white are the colors. At the top, in red, it's a, it's a red background with white letters. It says, Genuine Christians. Ooh. Okay, it's going to talk about genuine Christians. In fact, this sign is there to tell everyone what a genuine Christian is. 
Now, what defines a genuine Christian? Uh, oh man, if I was at church right now, this is where I would just start asking people the questions and make them all uncomfortable. But I really want, oh, if, if you have a piece of paper, write down genuine Christians and then write what would be one word you would put underneath the phrase, the, the two words, genuine Christians, right underneath that, genuine Christians, what would be one word you would write that would define, describe what a genuine Christian is? If you could only write one word, genuine Christians, and then the next word describes what a genuine Christian is. What, 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 what would it be? What would it be? What would it be? What would it be? Come on, come on. What would it be? Anyone can answer. If you're listening to me on Spreaker, anyone, anyone answer, please. What would you put down? Genuine Christians. Genuine Christians. I don't even know if anyone's listening to me live right now. Genuine Christians. What would you write down? Come on. What would you write down? Now, if you think about this long series that we've been now involved in since October of 2022, right? We have been working on the proper distinction between law and gospel. If you are a law-minded Christian, if you are a law-based Christian, you know what you're going to write down. You're going to put genuine Christians and you're going to write a word that starts with the letter O. You're going to put... You're going to put down a word that starts with the letter O. If you are a gospel-minded Christian, if you are a gospel-based Christian, you're going to put genuine Christians, and you're probably going to put a word that starts with a B. Which is it? Genuine Christians, do you go with the word that starts with an O or the word that starts with a B? What word starts with an O? Well, this sign reads, genuine Christians... Obey Jesus's teachings. Genuine Christians obey Jesus' teachings. Now, some of you will be like, amen. A genuine Christian obeys the teaching of Jesus Christ. That is absolutely true. So that means you think the distinguishing mark of a Christian is obedience. A gospel-minded Christian would be like, no, 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 no. Genuine Christians believe in Jesus. Is it our belief? Is it our faith? Or is it our obedience? Now, I know some people pulling out the book of James right now. I'm going to try to quote that. I understand that. Which is it? Now, here's the problem. If you say genuine Christians obey Jesus, Jesus' teachings, I'm going to ask you a question. Do they obey them perfectly? And you can say, well, no, 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 no. They don't obey them perfectly. Oh, wait a minute. So imperfect, incomplete obedience is enough to say that genuine Christians obey Jesus' teachings? You got a sign on the next, next, on the highway, right there in the road. Everybody's driving by it and you're telling everyone, Hey, genuine Christians obey. But wait a minute. They know Christians. They probably have Christians in their family, Christians they work with. And they're going to say they don't obey all of Jesus teaching. They fall short all the time. So then do they determine, well, then nobody's a genuine Christian. And if you drive by and you see that and you're like, oh, genuine Christians obey. If you are even honest with yourself, wouldn't you question your own salvation? In fact, I responded to the person and said, 
Well, that's funny because, well, then I guess I'm not a Christian. Because I don't obey Jesus' teaching on a, anywhere close to a regular consistent basis. Let me just give you a couple. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be ye holy as he is holy. I'm sorry. Strike one, strike two, strike three, strike four. I'm out. I'm not a Christian. And you say, no, 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 no. It's not perfect obedience. Then what is it? How can you say genuine Christians obey Jesus' teaching and then turn around, backtrack, and say, well, they don't do it perfectly. They just do it, what, 10% better? Like, what does that even mean? That you don't do it perfectly, but at the same time, the distinguishing mark, the way you know you're saved is because of your obedience. So as long as I obey something, then I'm saved. As long as I obey anything, then that proves I'm saved. Now, I believe the distinguishing mark, genuine Christians believe in Jesus. My salvation is determined by my belief in Jesus and his perfect obedience being imputed to me, not based off my obedience, because my obedience would never be obedient enough. Therefore, I could never prove that I'm a genuine Christian because the law of God demands perfection, not just direction. Now, this this comes to the very heart of the entire series we've been working on. We are so law-minded in the American church that our God, I say it over and over and over, the gospel in your church, possibly sometimes in my church, in all churches in the United States of America, there's always that potential. In fact, I think it's true over and over and over again. That gospel that you're giving people is really law just masquerading pretending to be gospel. We say the right words about the gospel, and then we turn around and say something like, well, if you're a genuine Christian, you will obey Jesus' teachings. Well, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're now making it works-based. You're now making it based on what I do. Now you're making my assurance based on, you're making it about what I do. It will never be enough. This is at the very heart of why we've been talking about it, because I believe the gospel that is being presented today is not a gospel of grace. It's not a gospel of the work of God on our behalf. It's a gospel about morality. It's a gospel that's become nothing more than a morality, a system of morality. It's all, that's all it's become. It's just, we just want to teach morality. We don't want to teach salvation. Now you're saying, well, if someone is saved, should they not, I did never say they shouldn't pursue godliness. They should pursue godliness based on the mercies of God out of, out of a genuine love and respect and gratitude for what has been done for them. But our salvation is based on what Christ has done. And any passage that says, do this, do this, or if you don't do this, you're not saved. Those are law passages. Anyone's remotely honest with them, they will condemn you. And then your only hope is in the gospel passages would tell you what Christ has done for you. And everything the law demands, Christ has done. So I meet all of those demands, not in my practice, but in my position because of Christ's obedience imputed to my account. Very simple, very straightforward. But I thought it was a it was a good thing to send me to start this episode of another 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 ch- attempt, another chance 
for us to spend some time talking about law and gospel. What we're currently doing is we're doing a law and gospel redo. We made it so far in the series, and then I felt we kind of lost the plot a little bit, so we're kind of starting over and refreshing and reminding ourselves of what we've covered. We're utilizing the book, God's No and God's Yes, the proper distinction between law and gospel by C.F.W. Walther. Not only are we using the book, we've been using the book, we're still using the book, we're utilizing some episodes from Issues ETC. Issues ETC is a radio program. It's also a podcast. You should subscribe to the Issues ETC podcast on whichever podcasting app that you use. They're doing a series on the proper distinction between law and gospel. They're starting back in this book, God's Knowing God's Yes, with thesis number one. We've covered theses number one, thesis number two, theses number three, and today we come to theses number four. And thesis number four, the, th- the fourth thesis in this book, God's Knowing God's Yes, is this. The true knowledge of the distinction between law and the gospel is not only a glorious light affording the correct understanding of the entire Holy Scripture, but without this knowledge, Scripture is remains a sealed book. Simply put, if you don't understand the proper distinction between law and gospel, you cannot understand the Scriptures. The Bible is a closed book to you. The key that unlocks your understanding of all of Scripture is a proper distinction between law and gospel. That is thesis, thesis number four in the book God's No and God's Yes by C.F.W. Walther. And now we're going to listen to at least the first segment of Issues ETC talking about this in their series, Proper Distinction Between Law and Gospel. You should subscribe to their podcast. You should go listen to all of their episodes uninterrupted, unedited, without me offering my critique and analysis, because then you can really hear what they've had to say, and then you can come back and listen to all the things I've had to say. But are you ready? Here we go. All right. So, genuine Christians believe in Jesus. All right. Do we hope and wish that genuine Christians would obey Jesus? We do. Do genuine Christians always obey? Not even close. In fact, genuine Christians are in a perpetual state of disobedience in some way, shape, or form, whether in thought, whether in word, whether in feeling, desire, internal, external, or action. We are constantly sinning and disobeying in some way, shape, or form. And until you admit that, well, you're going to probably lean towards a gospel that is really law pretending to be gospel. But when you admit the reality of our sin and the reality of our lives, then you'll be drawn, you'll be forced to throw yourself at the mercy of the gospel. You'll be, you'll be forced to throw yourself at the foot of the cross and say, it's not what I can do, could do, should do, may do. It's what Christ did. And what he did is imputed to me by faith, alone. Let's see how issues etc. handled thesis number four in the book, God's No and God's Yes. Here we go. The hymn Salvation Unto Us Has Come, the eighth stanza talking about law and gospel. Here's a quote from one of those doctors of law and gospel, C.F.W. Walther. If you were to glance at Holy Scripture while still ignorant of the distinction between law and gospel, you would probably get the impression that there are a great number of contradictions in the scriptures. In fact, all of scripture would seem full of contradictions, worse than the Quran of the Turks. 
Well, what brings it all to light? What makes sense of all of it? Greetings and welcome back to... Absolutely so important. If you look at the Bible and you don't understand the proper distinction between law and gospel, you should start almost coming to a complete panic. You should be filled with anxiety. Remember our... our previous broadcast with anxiety thinking the entire bible is one big complete never-ending contradiction it makes no sense but law and gospel is the only thing that brings some kind of peace to the glaring contradictions because law and gospel is the only way to understand it without that it all falls apart and you think you've got gospel what really you've got law you've got it's all a mess this contradicts this but when you understand all these passages say do this do this do this do this do this they're only fulfilled not in what i do should do could do they're fulfilled in what christ did my faith in christ then i fulfill all of this do this do this do this and what christ did for me that's the look there's no other good answer other than you say hey christians obey jesus teaching i mean i mean and then you have to backtrack saying well not really i mean kind of i mean we don't do it perfectly and then you have to start making 15 exceptions which then will make absolutely no sense at some point hey a true christian will love god well i mean not love god fully and not love god completely but i mean at least love some what does that even mean and and then you have to constantly make all of these like backtracking, grading on a curve. No, the law demands perfection. Don't water it down. Don't grade it on a curve. And then say, well, then who can do it? No one but Christ. Christ did it. So now you can be considered as obedient to all of these demands because you are in Christ Jesus. It's the only hope. It's the only hope in any of this. But let's see how they're going to handle this understanding law and gospel and how it helps explain the contradictions in Scripture. Issues, etc. Live on this Monday afternoon, June the 12th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We continue our series on the distinction between law and gospel with Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Then in hour two, we'll be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the third Sunday after Pentecost with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Pastor Will Whedon is Assistant Pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, formerly served as Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He's author of the books Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. He hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, welcome back. Thank you, Todd. Before Walther gets into his kind of the heart thesis of these uh, theses on the long gospel where he essentially says, Long Gospel is the only way to rightly understand Holy Scripture, make sense of it. He spends some time talking about Scripture's clarity. What does he have to say? Yeah, he, he, he is dealing with, with an accusation that sort of runs around, especially from Rome and the East, that implies that the Scripture by itself is not sufficient and sufficiently clear to convey the full truth of what God wants people to know and believe. So I'd like to let Walter actually speak for himself a little bit as he starts this out, and then I'm going to sort of interrupt him if that's okay. If the Holy Scriptures were really so obscure a book that the meaning of all those passages which form the basis of the articles of the Christian creed could not be definitely ascertained, and if, as a result of this, we should have to acknowledge that without some other authority, it would be impossible to 
to decide which of two or several interpretations of Scripture passages is the only correct one. If these conditions, I say, were true, the Scriptures would not be the Word of God. Oh, boy. Okay. How do I handle this and what do I do? I know we need to kind of go to where he's going with law and gospel, but I, you know what? I, I think it's going to be worth to have a, a good conversation here. And I know I'm going to get myself in so much trouble here. All right. Okay. I understand that obviously Lutherans, uh, CFW Walther, all of them would argue against Rome. Rome does basically make this point that, hey, the Bible is not sufficiently clear. It's not sufficiently clear. And if you try to just handle the Bible, you by yourself, you're going to end up with a million different interpretations. You're going to be have interpretation. They're going to have an interpretation. They're going to have an interpretation. It's going to be spiritual anarchy. It's going to be spiritual chaos. There's going to be division and confusion. You need something other than just the scriptures. You need an authority. You need an apostolic authority that has the power and the authority to offer an interpretation of the scriptures, which are not sufficiently clear in and of themselves because th without that there's going to be chaos and confusion and the church will be just a mess that's kind of the catholic argument protestants are like absolutely not the bible is sufficient the bible is clear in and of itself we do not need any outside authority the bible is clear we can understand it and yet <laughs> and yet Nobody agrees. Division. People leave churches all the time because they disagree. Everyone thinks they are right. Look, just go spend the day hanging out on, I think it used to be called Twitter. Now it's called X. Okay. Whatever the name is, just go hang out in the Christian Twitter verse. Okay. Christian social media verse. And everyone, every day, there's a new controversy. Everyone's arguing. They're right. We're right. You're wrong. They're wrong. Heretic. No, they're, you're the heretic. No, you're the heretic. No, you don't even know how to understand the Bible. And everyone thinks they're right. They're so dogmatic. They offer these declarative statements. And this is what the scripture means. And someone else will quote another scripture. No, you don't understand the scripture. No, you don't understand the scripture. And everybody, it's like a bunch of kids on the playground. You just want to yell, everyone shut up. I'm tired of listening to all of you because you all think you're right. Well, that seems to indicate, are the, are the scriptures that sufficiently clear or not? How come two Christians cannot see the same thing? Look, even this discussion about law and gospel, trust me, not everyone agrees with the proper distinction between law and gospel. Yeah, in fact, if you try to teach it, you'll be accused of being an antinomian or who knows what. There will be disagreements. Just think there's disagreements about every aspect of Christianity, from baptism to the Lord's Supper to church structure to salvation itself. Now, he's going to make an argument, no, the scriptures are sufficiently clear. Now, his argument's going to be, well, they're sufficiently clear if you properly understand law and gospel. Now, if you don't understand law and gospel, then the scriptures are not sufficiently clear. Okay, well, then that means everyone's got to learn law and gospel. But it, law and gospel is obviously not sufficiently clear to just see on your in, your in and of yourself because people don't typically see it in and of themselves. That's why they typically to be more law-minded than they are gospel-minded. So the Catholic argument, look, whether you like it or not, 
the Catholic argument makes a lot of sense from a purely human standpoint. Now, the question is, is does that authority, has that authority shown itself not trustworthy throughout all the years of church history, say 2,000 years of church history? Has the Catholic authority shown itself to be, mm, I don't know if I can really trust them. But then the question is, can I really trust myself? So uh, it, it becomes a never-ending circle. But I, I do understand from a Catholic perspective, look, just, just from my perspective, looking at the non-Catholic world, denomination after denomination, group after group, independent groups, denominational groups, everywhere, commentary after commentary after commentary, sermon after sermon after sermon. Disagreement after disagreement after disagreement. And sometimes you have to go either one, the scriptures are not sufficiently clear, or two, we are so incapable of seeing their sufficient meaning, or three, we need an outside authority to stop all of the madness. And you can see why many convert to Catholicism. They don't convert to Catholicism necessarily because of Mary, or because of robes, or because of liturgy, or because of incense, or because of mass, or because of, of the Lord's Supper. They typically convert because they're like, I am so sick and tired of all of the bickering and fighting and arguing. I'm just going to lay down my right to interpret it, hand it over to the church, and whatever they say is what I'm going to go with. And people say, well, how stupid of you. How foolish. Maybe they're, they're tired of your stupidity and your foolishness and my stupidity and my foolishness. Maybe they're tired of all the arguing and everyone thinking that they're so right. It does become absolutely exhausting. So I can understand the appeal to that. Now, you could ask questions about this supposed authority and you can ask your questions about, well, then why haven't they answered all kinds of questions that maybe with even within the Catholic Church that you could, you could, you could definitely raise questions there. But it, I, I just think I am not, I don't necessarily believe that the scriptures are as clear as we sometimes as non-Catholics claim. We have to claim that they're clear because we want to make sure that, hey, we don't need the authority of the church. Because the scriptures are the authority and, and, and it's so clear anyone can figure it out. But after 2000 years of division, 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 fight, 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 argue, 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 different, uh, different interpretation, different interpretation, different interpretation, and different interpretation. I think we can start probably acknowledging maybe they're not as clear as we think they are. And I don't think saying, Simply knowing law and gospel makes them sufficiently clear. I do believe a proper distinction between law and gospel helps eliminate what we may appear to be irreconcilable contradictions, but I think the Bible is still difficult. It's a tough issue. Nobody really wants to ever have this conversation. Nobody wants to have this conversation. Everybody just wants to attack the, attack the Catholic Church. And I got no problem. I, I'm obviously not Catholic. I obviously don't agree with Catholicism, right? Or I've already converted to Catholicism. But I do, I, I think just attacking them doesn't really help because you look around at us. We, we, nobody can agree on anything. So like, it's easy to point the finger at them, but point the finger back out of ourselves and go, well, wait a minute. If, if the Bible is somehow sufficiently clear, then why can't we, you pick it up and I pick it up. We open it up. We read it and we both go, well, obviously that's what that means. Well, obviously that's what that means. Obviously, that's what that means, but we can't do that. And within the what within the non-Catholic world, it even goes a step further. 
you can go to seven different Bible colleges, Bible Institute, and seminaries, seven total. You can have seven different diplomas, certificates, degrees. You can have all of that, and someone will still look you in the face and say, you're wrong. And you're like, okay, based off what? Doesn't matter. You're wrong. I'm right. Never been to Bible. They've never been to Bible college, never been to seminary, probably never even read too many textbooks on hermeneutics or or systematic theologies. Will not matter. And that happens in churches all across the United States of America. Well, a lay person, without even the theological education, will tell the person that you're wrong. I'm going to go to a different church because you're wrong. So, obviously, even within the Protestant world, we believe the scriptures are so clear that even someone with years of theological training, they don't even have more right or authority to say what the interpretation is than a person who has zero. Now, uh, some people say, but the Holy Spirit's going to teach you. Well, if the Holy Spirit's going to teach you, then we should all have the same conclusion, right? I know this was a big issue in the Reformation. The big issue in the Reformation was like, no, 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 no. The scriptures are clear and sufficient in and of themselves. We do not need the magisterium. And everybody's like, amen. And then immediately are like, no, Luther, you're wrong. No, Calvin, you're wrong. No, Zwingli, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're, the Anabaptists are wrong. No, they're wrong. No, they are wrong. They're wrong. No, you're wrong. Wesley's wrong. No, they And then boom, 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 boom. Denomination after denomination. Fight after fight. Argument after argument. Division after division. The remonstrance versus those from the Synod of Door. Just on and on and on and on. Fight, 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 fight disagreement, denomination after denomination, interpretation after interpretation. Every Christian should be bothered. Every Christian should be horrified at that historical reality. And it bothers me. They're going to say the solution is understanding law and gospel. Look, I do believe we need to understand law and gospel. But if law and gospel is so clear, then everybody would understand it. The fact that people don't understand it and we need teachers like Walther and others to point out the distinction of law and gospel means then you're kind of relying on a source outside of the Bible to tell you what the Bible says. So have we just replaced the magisterial authority of the Roman Catholic Church with our own popes? Our favorite pastors? Our favorite... I don't know. I mean, I know we get into some serious issues here, but all right, let's continue. Let's continue. How could a book that leaves us groping in darkness and uncertainty regarding its essential contents serve as a revelation. The old Jewish Bible scholars of the Middle Ages in particular declared that the literal meaning of the scriptures was indeed plain, but that there was a secret meaning of scripture that is of the highest importance, and this secret meaning could not be explored without the aid of the Kabbalah. For instance, they pointed out that in the first as well as in the last verse of the Hebrew text, the letter Aleph occurs six times. Now, an ordinary person, they say, cannot know why this is so, but the Kabbalah gives the explanation, that is, that the world is to last 6,000 years, and so on. You know, he wraps that up. Well, this is, a, this is absurd. 
However, even within the Christian church, in the papacy, the teaching is current that the scriptures are so obscure that you can scarcely understand a single passage in them. At any rate, very many important teachings of the Christian religion, it is asserted, cannot be substantiated from scripture. To this end, the traditions of the church are said to be absolutely necessary. I mean, that sort of sets up the problem he's addressing. People basically charging that, well, God didn't do a very good job when he gave us the sacred scriptures of making himself clear in them. And the argument behind this is, well, because they admit of so many different interpretations. So I actually had a letter sent to me this week by one of our listeners who sort of raised this question. She said, along that vein, I have a question. He, that would be me, said basically that you need to be able to use your own faculties of reason in order to beware of false prophets, which makes sense. But how do you know that your interpretation of scripture or any interpretation that you hear is the correct one and not some pretense? That is a really, really great question. Okay, now what this, what's funny is that what Walther is talking about, I mean, he's going all the way back to uh, ancient Judaism. He's going back to the early parts of Roman Catholicism, going back to the time of the Reformation, showing this kind of argument, right? Okay, that the scriptures aren't sufficient and clear in and of themselves, so you need something else. The Jews seem to be making, made this argument. You need this. And the Catholic Church kind of made this argument. You need the magisterium. And then here we are, 2023, and he gets a letter from someone going, well, wait a minute. How do we know if our interpretation is right? How do we know? What do you think his answer is going to be? What do you think his answer is going to be? How? I mean, it's a, it's a question to ask yourself. How do you know your interpretation is right? How do you know my interpretation is right? How do you know your church's interpretation is right? Pick a passage of scripture. Listen to, just go to the Sermons 2.0 app. Now, all of them agree with a statement of faith, but even with all of those churches that agree agree with a statement of faith, take 10 sermons on any passage of scripture and see how many different interpretations you get. Buy 10 different commentaries. How many different interpretations will you get? Remember when we were working on Revelation, I don't remember the number, it was something like, 15 commentaries, 10 commentaries, 15 commentaries, like 50, it was like over 50 different interpretations on one passage. Small number of commentaries, crazy number of interpretations. That was one example. So how do you know? How do you know? Now, someone's going to come on, Scripture is clear, so it's easy to know. Well, if it was so easy to know, then why is there so many different interpretations? What do you think? What do you, what do you think he's going to say? What do you think his answer is going to be? Let's see. Let's listen. Are you ready? All right. Building up suspense. All right. Here we go. How do you know? Well, I think the first thing we need to be clear on is what the fathers of the church actually said about this important question about Scripture, right? They're the ones that tend to be appealed to. Well, I mean, just listen to these words. St. Gregory of Nyssa, let the inspired Scriptures then be your umpire. The vote of truth will be given to those whose dogmas agree with the divine words. Or think about these words from St. Gregory of Nyssa in a different book. 
We are not entitled to such license, I mean, of affirming what we please. We make the Holy Scriptures the rule and the measure of every tenet. We necessarily fix our eyes upon that and approve that alone, which may be made to harmonize with such doctrines. Now, what I, what I love about this is just go grab some random scripture, random quotes from the church fathers. Just rip these out of any context, right? And say, well, see, they say, look to the scriptures. Now, wait a minute. How do you know your interpretation is true? He's going to say, look to the scriptures. But everyone who gives an interpretation are going to claim they're looking at the scriptures. So I don't know how these quotes from the church fathers prove anything. Let the scriptures be your un- uh, umpire. Let the scriptures make the final decision. Well, everyone is claiming that they're letting the scriptures make the final decision. So this still doesn't tell you how you know your interpretation is right. And I would challenge you, if you haven't listened to our study on baptism and the church fathers or baptism in the early church, I think is what I called it. We go through, I think, three historical documents from the early church on baptism. Yeah, yeah. There is no agreement. It's maddening. It's insane reading through these early church fathers on baptism. You got, you got to get baptized in the nude. You got to get, oh, just crazy stuff. And you're like, wait a minute. I thought the scriptures are sufficiently clear. They're doing things that you're like, what in the world are you, where are you getting these ideas from? And then their interpretation of some of the scripture is insanity. Well, mud is wet and because mud is wet and we come from the dirt, it's just like all of this, just craziness. If you, if you listen to that series, you, you should be just like, this is dumbfounding how utterly crazy it gets. Well, wait a minute. So he's saying, Hey, how do you know which doctrine is true? You look to the scriptures and then you'll know which doctrine is true. But the people preaching the other doctrine, they would tell you they're looking at the scriptures. I'll I'll never forget it. Look, I've told the story a million times. I was a student at Harold Camping's Family Radio School of the Bible, Harold Camping from Family Radio, and they had the Family Radio School of the Bible. I had to fill out an application. I was uh, I was uh, accepted as a student, and I was learning. And there was doctrine, there was theology, there was a Hebrew, there was Greek. It was so it was it was very reformed theology, very reformed theology. Everything seemed to be going well. Everything seemed to be going great. He was, Harold Kemping was always talking about the sufficiency of scripture, scripture alone, not man's traditions, not man's words, scripture alone, comparing scripture with scripture. You need to study the Bible verse by verse. Everything was going great. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, he's like, I know when the world's going to come to an end. It's coming to the end in 1994. And you're like, wait, what just happened? He wrote a book called 1994, has a question mark after it. I have the book somewhere, right? And it's like, what is happening? And then he's, and it was just crazy, all the things he was saying and how he was interpreting scripture. But he was telling you, he's not getting this from divine revelation. He's getting this from the study of the word of God. And the next thing you know, 1994 came and went. 
Well, guess what? It didn't happen. Well, wait a minute. We got to recalculate. We got to reformulate. And so then he starts setting different dates. He tells us the church age is ended. Everyone needs to leave their local church because if you stay in the local church, you've taken the mark of the beast. It's just, it's just everything just started spiraling out of control. It got weirder and weird. Then he made another prediction about 2000. I remember what the year was, 2012, 2000, whatever. That fell apart. The whole thing just imploded. The whole thing blew up. But he was teaching scripture, scripture, scripture is the authority. Scripture is the authority. Authority. Scripture is clear. You can see this in Scripture. If you will open your eyes, if God will open your eyes, you can see it. And well, guess what? He would have told you he was looking to Scripture alone. So he would have agreed with these church fathers. You're absolutely right. Let's let the Scriptures be the final determination. Let's compare Scripture with Scripture. And let's look at this. And he was using the book of Jeremiah a lot to try to prove his points. Is scripture sufficiently clear? With those writings. And then St. Basil the Great, this one I really, really think goes to the heart of, of it. He says, concerning the hearers, that those hearers who are instructed in the scriptures should examine what is said by the teachers, receiving what is in conformity with the scriptures and rejecting what is opposed to them. And that those who persist in teaching such doctrines should be strictly avoided. I mean, that's pretty clear, isn't it? And then one more passage. I, how, you're not answering the person's question. You're saying, how do you know if you know the doctrine is right? Look to Scripture. Yeah, but you're looking to Scripture and you're going, well, they're wrong based off your inter. So just think how it works. Your interpretation of Scripture trumps their interpretation of Scripture, and their interpretation of Scripture supposedly trumps your interpretation of Scripture, and then my interpretation of Scripture trumps your interpretation of Scripture. So then, how do you know who's telling? How do you know your interpretation is right? You know your interpretation is right because it's your interpretation. That person talking right there in issues ETC, he believes you take a baby, sprinkle water on its forehead, and the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and boom, it becomes a magical Christian. It, it brings about regeneration. It makes the baby a Christian. It saves them because that's a Lutheran teaching and baptismal regeneration of a baby baptized and, be sa and become saved. I guess you can lose your salvation. At least that's how I was taught as a Missouri Synod Lutheran is the baby can grow up and lose its salvation. So wait a minute. I thought we were saved by grace alone through faith alone because of Christ alone. How can the baby lose something that he didn't earn? Well, then that's the whole thing becomes the whole thing becomes a mess. But guess what? They would believe dogmatically that the belief in infant baptism comes from the scriptures alone. And me, being a Baptist, would say, you're out of your ever-living mind because coming from scripture alone, I don't see a baby being baptized. I don't see any command to baptize a baby. I think you're making it up. We would both say the scriptures are sufficiently clear and they would say it's sufficiently clear to teach infant baptism and I would say it's sufficiently clear to teach against infant baptism. So how do those quotes from the church fathers come anywhere close to helping you know who's telling the truth? And how does this answer the question, are the scriptures sufficiently clear? This from St. Cyril of Jerusalem. He says, look, concerning the divine and holy mysteries of the faith, not even a casual statement must be delivered without the holy scriptures. We must not be drawn aside by mere plausibility and artifices of speech, even to me, 
who tell you these things. Do not give absolute credence unless you receive the proof of the things that I announce from the divine scriptures. For this salvation, which we believe, depends not on ingenious reasoning, but on demonstration of the holy scriptures. And last but not least, St. John Chrysostom spins the exact question that this lady had asked. He says, there comes a heathen and says, I wish to become a Christian, but I know not whom to join. There's much fighting and faction among you, much confusion. Which doctrine am I to choose? How are we supposed to answer him? Each of you, says he, asserts, I speak the truth. Well, no doubt this is in our favor. For if we told you to be persuaded by arguments, we might well be perplexed. But if we bid you believe the scriptures, and these are simple and true, the decision is easy for you. If any agree with the scriptures, he's the Christian. If any fight against them, he is far from this rule. So there you hear the witness of a whole pile of early fathers testifying to the scriptures, both their clarity and the way that every Christian must judge what's being said to him on the basis of the scriptures themselves. Receive Every Christian judges based off their interpretation of the scriptures. I don't know how this even comes close to answering the problem. Hey, which, who's telling the truth? Well, those who teach the scripture. Harold Camping would say over and over back in the 1990s as I was going through this entire crazy thing that happened, became national news, and it was nuts. It would say, Test what I'm saying against the scriptures. What I'm saying, the scriptures alone, scripture, 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 scripture. And he was 100% convinced that what he was teaching was biblical and was right. And people would call in because he did a, a nightly call-in show. So I, the good thing I liked about Hulk Camping is he didn't hide behind a microphone. He was right there taking phone calls and people would call in and argue and argue and argue and they would quote their scripture and he would quote scripture. You don't understand the scripture. They like, you don't understand the scripture. And everyone thought that they understood the scripture. Now, ultimately, Harold Camping was proven wrong because he made a prediction that could be proven true or false based off, well, time. So he obviously was proving false. But the point is, at the time, he would have told you that he was teaching scripture and the people arguing against him would say they were teaching scripture. So that doesn't it. Hey, how do you know who's teaching scripture? Well, listen and see if they're teaching in accordance to scripture. But they think they're teaching in accordance to scripture. So how can I judge their teaching according to scripture? Because they would tell me that I'm wrong. Again, just take, this is a Lutheran program we're listening to. Hey guys, um, according to scripture, you're wrong on infant baptism. There you go. I'll, I'll, I'll wait for you to become Baptist next week. Hey, to all the Presbyterians listening, you're wrong on infant baptism. They're going to say, no, you're wrong. But the scriptures are sufficient and sufficient, sufficiently clear. And how do you know who's teaching the truth, you'll see if what they're teaching is in accordance with scripture. I don't know how that, it's just like we're in a circle here. He thinks he's given some profound answer because he quoted some church fathers. Look, I quoted, I, I quoted uh, John Chrysostom, 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 if I can even say the name right. Uh, I can't remember the other ones he quoted. Okay. Ooh, I quoted some church fathers. Look at that. Man. Whoa. Prove my point. Come on. What are you doing? It doesn't prove anything. I, I, you've not even attempted to even answer the real problem. Giving what's in conformity with them, rejecting what is opposed to them. 
Out of this, the reformers, of course, formulated sort of two rules that are very helpful. First, Scripture will always be its own best interpreter. So you listen to what is said in one passage and you understand it in harmony with what's said in the other passages of Scripture. And secondly, the rule which the Lutheran confessions lay down that you know you're reading the Scripture right when it gives all glory to Jesus and all comfort to sinners. And I find it hilarious. Hey, we're going to reject the magisterium of the Catholic Church, but the Lutheran confessions give you these rules. (laughs) Don't listen to the Catholic Church. Listen to us, the Lutherans, and our confession. But, 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 But really, 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 all you need to do is listen to the scriptures. But here's our confession to help you out. (laughs) <laughs> oh, come on. You got to laugh a little bit. Come on now. It's it's sad and it's frustrating, but it's a little bit humorous that we never hear ourselves, right? How do you know who's teaching the truth? You compare it with scripture. Okay. I compare it with scripture and I decide it's not truth. But the other people are going to be like, well, we compared what you said according to scripture and we believe you're not telling the truth. Well, then who knows who is telling the truth? When everyone thinks they're telling the truth. So is it really the scriptures or is it our own interpretation? What is really the authority, the scripture or our interpretation of the scripture? And if you think about it, really what's the authority is our interpretation of the scripture. And then we think our interpretation, not only do we think it's authoritative, we believe it's binding on everyone else. And anyone who disagrees with my interpretation is dun dun da da wrong. And you can come to that conclusion and you can come to that interpretation without any theological education, without any theological training, without ever reading a book on hermeneutics or anything else. And you will tell the pastor that they're wrong and you'll leave the church and go somewhere else because your authority outweighs his authority and your interpretation is better than his interpretation. And then you'll go to another church until you don't like their interpretation and then you'll tell them they're wrong and then you'll go to another church. Now, let me just sort of back up then to something that St. Irenaeus said very early on in the church. He said, the entire scriptures... The prophets and the gospels can be clearly, unambiguously, and harmoniously understood by all. The scriptures can be clearly and harmoniously understood by all. 2,000 years of church history. Have they been clearly and harmoniously understood by all? Come on, can we, can we just stop with this nonsense? Clearly they have it. We don't agree on anything. But all do not believe them. That is the exact statement of what CFW Walter was trying to get at. Yeah, the problem is not with the scriptures. They are very clear. They say what they say. And anybody who listens to them and gives heed to them will know exactly what God is saying through them. Now, you see what this leads to. Hey, the scriptures are great. They're perfect. They're super clear. Anybody can understand them. The problem is you have to believe them. You have to listen to them. 
So here's what happens. Because you supposedly now listen and you hear and you come to a conclusion, then anyone who disagrees with you, you immediately say, because they won't believe, they're not believing the scriptures, they won't listen to the scriptures, they're not reading the scriptures, they're not trying to see the scriptures. You'll say that the problem is you Listen, you see, you believe, but anyone who disagrees with you, they don't see because they won't take heed to the script. You then immediately will almost act like you're theologically and spiritually superior because you understand, but nobody else does. And that's exactly what we see in the Christian world. Whenever we condemn someone else, man, if they, I don't understand. Why don't they read their Bible? Why don't they understand it? Because they won't see. They, I don't know what they're doing. And then we just, we, 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 we put the blame, like somehow it's on them. Well, wait a minute. They would say that you're not reading the Bible and you don't see. Oh, come on, we have to admit, look, I know people don't like this kind of talk, but we have to be willing to acknowledge this problem. This is why some convert to Roman Catholicism. They look at the Protestant world like you people are out of your minds. You argue, you don't agree on anything. I'm tired of figuring it out. I'm just going to rely on the magisterium of the Catholic Church. You're like, how dare you do that? How dare you do that? You should rely on my magisterial authority. In some ways, Protestants, non-Catholics, we rejected one pope so that we all could become pope. We rejected one magisterial authority so that we all could become the magisterial authority. We rejected their dogmatic declarations so that we could all make dogmatic declarations. We rejected their anathemas so that we could issue our own. However, not everybody believes what God says in them, and sometimes our own reason and other sort of prejudices that we have get in the way of actually hearing what God's saying through them. Walter then goes on to give some Luther gems that run along the same line, basically skewering the, the Roman Catholic notion that you need it to somehow add something to the scriptures to make them be clear. Just a flavor. The papists are giving us their twaddle about the scriptures for the sole purpose of leading us away from the scriptures and raising themselves up as masters over us in order to force us to believe their preaching of dreams. It's an abomination, a disgraceful defamation of holy writ in the entire Christian church to say that the holy scriptures are obscure. Hey, we can't say the scriptures are obscure. Don't listen to the Catholic Church. They're leading us away from scripture. Okay, so Luther is telling the Catholic Church that they're wrong. The Catholic Church is telling Luther they're wrong. And it won't be very long before people start telling Luther that he's wrong. And then people will be telling the people who told Luther that they're wrong, that they're wrong. And then the next group will tell that group who told that group who told Luther that they were wrong. And Luther will still be telling the Catholic Church is wrong. And everyone will be telling everyone that they're wrong. And that everyone is offering twaddle and or whatever the word was. And, and, and but yeah, who, 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 who supposedly knows? Oh, but the scriptures are clear. But the scriptures are clear. That's another passage from Luther that he quotes, but it basically runs along the exact same line. So he wants to make sure that everybody's clear on this point. The scriptures really are very clear in what they have to teach. 
And yet, he then introduces a caveat. Despite them being clear, there is a problem not with them, but with us. And that problem with us is encapsulated by St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. In other words, to get the very clear words that God is saying in the Scriptures and to understand it correctly is going to require the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh boy, here we go. How do you know? how to, The only way to understand Scripture is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so now, you see another thing that this leads to. Well, if they don't agree with me, they must not have the Holy Spirit. Because if they have the Holy Spirit and I have the Holy Spirit, why don't we come to the same conclusion? How can a, a, a Lutheran have the Holy Spirit and then take a baby, put water on its forehead and tell everyone, this baby's been born again and this baby, if it dies, is going to go to heaven because it's now been saved. Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. How did this just happen? I don't believe that's a teaching that comes from the Holy Spirit. So they don't have the Holy Spirit. They would look at me and like, how dare you? keep the holy sacrament from a baby how dare you keep you you don't have the holy spirit and then everyone some people will look at the lutherans and the baptists and say neither of you have the holy spirit because you're supposed to believe this and the the amillennialist will look at the premillennials like you don't have the holy spirit and then the charismatics will say you don't have the holy spirit and then the reform will look at the the arminian and say you don't have the holy spirit and then on and 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 on because if the problem is is that we just can't understand the Bible because it's spiritually discerned. And if we get the Spirit, then the problem goes away. Then there should be how many different uh, theologies? How many different interpretations? Because if we all have the Holy Spirit, it should be one. But it isn't. And without that gift, the Scriptures, Walter says, will remain to us a closed book. So even though you get their message, it won't make any sense to you. It only makes sense when the Holy Spirit shows you your Savior on the cross. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. It's part four of our series on the proper distinction between law and gospel. He's hinted there just a moment ago at the fourth thesis, distinguishing law and gospel. We'll get to that thesis on the other side of the break. I'm Todd Wilkin. Stay tuned. Okay, well, that took an interesting turn. Now, for many of you, you're probably sitting there in total shock because you've never heard a, a pastor say some of the things I've said and call into question all of this. But I'm sorry, just any reasonable, logical, rational person would be like, something's wrong here. Now, so you, you have a couple of options. You're like, well, we go back to Rome and just give up. Okay, well, I, I can't do that because I believe that authority has shown itself to be so corrupted. I don't know if I can, I, I have a hard time with going back there. So I don't, I don't agree with that. At the same time, I'm not going to sit here and go, Hey, the scriptures are super sufficient and everyone can understand it. And, and, ev- and everyone does. And well, the problem is, and, and, and then try to understand why nobody understands and then try to say the way to understand the way to know which tr- uh, doctrine is right is just look to the scriptures because everyone's looking to the script. All of that just leads to confusion. So you either go back to Rome and and, and here's my only other, I don't have any other, this is the best way I can summarize it because it's the, to me the only thing that makes sense. Scripture, sorry, hitting the microphone. Scripture 
is the inspired and errant word of God, and it is perfect and it is without error. All we can do as human beings is study it to the absolute best of our ability using every tool and resource we can. And we study and we study. We try to lay aside every presupposition that we have. When Whatever conclusion we come to today, we do not rely on that conclusion come tomorrow. We throw that conclusion aside and we constantly look at the scriptures anew without any previous understanding. Every day is a new day in scripture. We use every system of of understanding written material. We use hermeneutics, grammar, history, syntax, definitions of word. We we use it all and we work and we work and we work. And always we, we will come to a conclusion and we have to be dogmatic about that conclusion at that time. But realize my dogmatic conclusion today could change 100% tomorrow because I'm going to continue to study. I'm going to continue to question and I'm going to continue to pursue knowing that whatever truth we have, we don't even know how true it may be, and we probably will never know how much we got wrong until we stand before Christ. In the meantime, we stumble and we try to figure it out, but there's no magic formula. There's no way of knowing if what we're teaching is right or wrong. And let's make it very clear, the Holy Spirit is not leading us into all truth because if he was, well, then we would already have all truth. He led the original writers of the New Testament and all truth. He brought what words for them to write. He, he brought, he, he led them into all truth. He was giving them, he was using through the process of inspiration, giving them the words to write down. That was all fulfilled in the writing of the New Testament. For us, we have the written book and we have to pursue it and study it and, and, and be humble enough to realize that's my interpretation. And I believe my interpretation is right. But I'm humble enough to realize when I study it tomorrow, I'm not going to rely on today's interpretation. I'm going to study it anew and afresh and be willing to see maybe I've been wrong. And I know that does not give the level of certainty that some people want. But you can pursue certainty at the expense of truth. I would rather have truth and uncertainty than certainty and not truth but something pretending to be true to make me feel better. All right. You can email me at newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I have a feeling this is not going to be well received. And that's okay. Just remember, whatever scripture you give me, what happens when your interpretation does not match my interpretation? Why is your interpretation more right than my interpretation? And if the Holy Spirit's telling you that, maybe the Holy Spirit's telling me something opposite, which would make absolutely no sense. And you cannot ignore 2,000 years of church history that is the story of never-ending dispute, arguing, fighting, and division. And that same spirit of never-ending confusion, debating, fighting, and division is just as much present today as it ever has been because Christians still don't agree on anything. Thanks for listening. God bless.